families. When you have like a shared custody family situation, weekends and worship attendance, all that sort of thing can be disrupted, as would be understandable. Five, online options. This is especially a result of COVID. So every church started doing something online um, after COVID. And then podcasts, podcasts are amazing. You can listen to your favorite preacher. You can do it on 2x speed and get it done like half the time while you're mowing your grass. It's amazing, right? And you can sort of like check the sermon box. It's done. That's the fifth reason, he says. All right, sixth reason. Again, these are um, ten reasons even committed Christians are attending church less often. Six, he says, the cultural disappearance of guilt. He said like people just don't feel as guilty about not going to church as they did in the past. It's starting to disappear. Number seven, self-directed spirituality. Self-directed spirituality. People are individualizing their relationship with Jesus. They're just handling on their own uh, rather than linking it to a church community. If you think about like the podcast situation where you could like go 2x speed on an amazing sermon from your favorite preacher in a different city and then like hit up some Mav City on Spotify. I mean, you can like craft this amazing like your own worship service, right? Like without even really getting out of bed. Technology is amazing. Those are not bad things, but that is increasingly common, self-directed spirituality. Number eight, failure to see a direct benefit from it. Some people are just like not convinced it's that valuable. So they don't go, according to his research. Number nine, valuing attendance over engagement. So this is just, uh, if you view church as like a, a box of, of, like you have to check to just attend, um, versus like a, a worship uh, experience where you will engage in your heart and your mind and, and your intellect and all that, you're much more likely to miss if it's just an attendance box you check rather than something to engage in. Number 10, he says there's just a um, massive cultural shift happening where people, regardless of religion, are attending services less and less. Ten reasons even committed Christians are attending church less often. All right, what does Psalm 122 say into this? Why do we gather for worship? Let's look at Psalm 122 together. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The Word of the Lord. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this opportunity to be together, to hear it. God, would You, by Your Holy Spirit, be at work in us, making us more and more into Your image as we Think about Your Word and study it together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, three headings this afternoon uh, for you note-takers. First, here's what I want to look at. One, worship is the way different types of people become one. Worship is the way different types of people become one. Secondly, worship is the way we grow our relationship with God. And third, worship is the way we are transformed. Um, as we jump into this, 
Um, my thinking on this psalm has been massively shaped by the late pastor and author uh, Eugene Peterson. Uh, that name may sound familiar. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, uh, in which he literally wrote a chapter about this psalm. And so I was all over that chapter this week, and I highly recommend that book to you. Uh, but he shaped a lot of my thinking that you'll hear. Okay, first thought. Worship is the way different types of people become one. Look at verses 3 and 4 in our text. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Okay, so verse 3 talks about Jerusalem as a city that is bound firmly together. Okay, multiple scholars point out that um, surely David, who is the author, is speaking about like actual architecture, like how the city was built, buildings, towers, walls, provided this sense of being bound together, like a physical sense of unity. So that's agreed upon. And that this represents the unity that is forged between God's people as they journey to Jerusalem to worship together. Look at verse 4. It talks about the tribes going up to worship. This is referring to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Make a note, Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his 12 sons. These 12 sons form the 12 tribes of Israel. And there is um, amazing diversity and distinction amongst these 12 tribes. Uh, Some examples as he's blessing his sons. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uh, Judah, Judah is a lion's cub. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Uh, And then uh, for Dan, Dan shall judge his peoples as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that the rider falls backward. Okay, that's just three. Three of the 12 tribes. But all 12 tribes at their founding have uniquenesses. And then these distinct differences, uh, which gets further emphasized as they live out their life as a people of God together. And in our passage, in our psalm, all the tribes are called together to go to worship in Jerusalem. So you have a picture in Psalm 122 of a city that is physically built to hold its people together in worship. Then you have the people of God coming from all of their different tribes and all their diversity and difference coming together to live out this unity as they worship. Uh, it's no secret, one of my favorite lunch spots in our area is Pita House. Um, everything about this place is amazing. The food, the atmosphere, uh, the styrofoam that the food is served on, uh, the family that runs it, the employees that work there, it's, it's really the best. Uh, one of my favorite things about Pita House is the different types of people that you see during the lunch hour there. Uh, you see suits, you see construction vests, you see older people, you see younger people, you see men, women, children, families, locals, internationals. It really does bring all kinds of different people together over the lunch hour. And for what purpose? To eat great Middle Eastern food. Lots of different types of people coming together in unity at Pita House. For all of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel, to gather in Jerusalem would be a picture of very different types of people coming together as one people when they worship the one true God. All right, I want you to think about our church family. Just resurrection. 
All right, at a passing glance, um, we may look more similar than different. Think about your neighborhood group, your Bible study, whatever. At a quick passing glance, maybe we look more similar than different. Um, I'm in a unique perspective, especially if, if you have become a member of the church, where you've gone through the membership process, I've heard your stories, and so maybe I have I've a little bit more of a window in. There are so many different stories, uh, different backgrounds, different personalities, different perspectives that are right here this afternoon in our little church family. Um, different stages of life. Single, married, kids, no kids, um, empty nesters, blended families. Uh, people from all over, locals who um, are just through and through Greenville. And then people who maybe grew up in the region. And then people who grew up on the other side of the country. All kinds of different economic levels. Um, some with resources to spare. Some who are worried about getting through this month. And then lots of people in between. Um, lots of different uh, experiences with the church. Um, some are brand new to church. Some have been in church their whole lives. Some have been like very much wounded by the church. And this is like their first step back in. Um, lots of different personalities, lots of different Enneagram types, lots of different political views and opinions and, and different ideas about the way forward for like our country or our state or our city. Um, lots of different educational experiences and backgrounds and then different dreams and hopes for the future. So even in our little church, we come together in our diversity and differences uh, but when we come together, we are increasingly made one the more we come together and do the same things of worship. Uh, listen to this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, In worship, we have come from different places out of various conditions. We are demonstrably after the same things, saying the same things, doing the same things, with all our differing levels of intelligence and wealth, background and language, rivalries and resentments. Still in worship, we are gathered into a single whole. So there is real beauty in the differences that we bring together in this room week in and week out. And we want to continue to grow in that beautiful diversity and the differences reflected in this room. And in the same way, there is a beautiful sense of oneness that happens when we gather and we hear what? The same call to worship. Uh, we confess our sins together. We say the same prayers. We sing the same songs. We hear the same sermon from the same scripture we stand around the same table and take communion. We're sent out with the same benediction. Um, our gathered worship is a place where we increasingly become one people in Christ. And it's beautiful, and it's messy, and it's slow, and it's difficult to share life with different people and different personalities. Uh, people are way more complex, complex and nuanced than uh, our very polarized culture would have us to think. Um, there's so much beautiful nuance in everyone's stories. And yet this is the people of God gathering in our differences each week, being made one in Christ through our shared worship. Worship is the way different types of people become one. Secondly, worship is the way we grow our relationship with God. Back to Psalm 122. Why did the tribes of Israel go to Jerusalem to worship God? Look at verse 4 again. It says, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Um, they went up to Jerusalem because it was decreed. God commanded it. Uh, Deuteronomy 12.5 says, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes 
to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. Um, Psalm 122 is saying that Jerusalem is the place that God chose for his people to come and worship him. Practically, this meant that their main feasts would be there, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Maybe you've seen that as you're reading through the Bible. Uh, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booze. That's where they would be. They would t- take place in Jerusalem. And so very simply, for all these tribes, it was an act of obedience. God told them to go and worship in this place. So they listened, and it was good for them. Why was it good for them? Because God made us to worship himself. That's the very thing we were created for. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is another question and answer summary of what the Bible says, it starts off with that very question. What's the chief end for us? What is the main thing for humans to do? And the answer is that we are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the main thing we are made for, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, we are most in line with who we were created to be when we are worshiping God. But our sin, our rebellion against God, it has messed that up. Uh, and, but sin doesn't make us stop worshiping. It makes us worship the wrong thing. So instead of worshiping God, we worship things uh, other than God. And we do this all the time. The Bible calls us idolatry. Worshiping something other than God, that's idolatry. Um, and as you read about idolatry in the Bible, they would actually like create like icons or like things to worship. And I'm guessing that's probably not how you struggle with idolatry. You don't have like a shrine in your closet at home to like the mountain god or the ocean god. Um, but it, it's an idol for us then is anything um, other than Jesus that has captured our hearts. We worship what we center our lives around. And so if we don't center our lives around Jesus, because we're worshiping beings, we're going to center our lives around something. And we're going to start worshiping it. It might be something like security. Uh, controlling and orchestrating our lives in such a way in order that we feel safe and protected from anything bad happening. Um, health finances, anything that gives us a sense of security, um, we might lock our lives around that. And so every stream in our life flows towards greater security. That would be making an idol of security. It could be something like comfort. We might make an idol out of comfort. The main thing in our life is being comfortable. So every stream flows towards being comfortable. And so we spend money and time and resources and energy and we prioritize things that make life more comfortable and we get rid of anything that is uncomfortable. Or difficult. Uh, we might create an idol out of success. Everything in life flows towards improving and winning and being successful. And so all the purposes sort of point to that for us. It's at the center of our lives. And none of those are bad things. They're very good things. But they were never meant to be the main thing. Jesus is the only one who was meant to and who is able to be the main thing that can actually fulfill us. Um, you can never have enough security. You can never have enough comfort. You can never have enough success if those things are the main things. You're just always going to need a little bit more. And because God knows this about us and the fact that He made us to worship, He commands us to worship Him. Uh, because in our regular gatherings, when we, when we come and we worship Him, what does He do? Um, it, it, it's like an ice sculpture where He begins to chip away at that old self. Little by little, when we worship Him more and more, he puts himself at the center of our lives. So worship is a key way that we grow in our relationship with God. Uh, when we moved into our house five years ago, 
uh, one of the first things we needed to do was replace our mailbox. It was rusted, literally falling over. And so I went and got a post hole digger. A post hole digger, these are those weird looking shovels with like the two poles and like the two scoops at the bottom that you can dig straight down. That's what a post hole digger is. They make it incredibly easy to dig a post hole. Who would have thought, right? Um, if you've ever tried digging a, a, a deep hole with a regular shovel, you know that it's pretty difficult. It's really frustrating to do. But then you get a post hole digger, it makes it incredibly easy. Uh, post hole diggers were made to dig post holes. We were made to worship God. Do you believe that deep down in your core? Does how you've orchestrated your life reflect that? That, that you were actually made to worship God? It's, and this is one of those things you can't really know it until you've experienced it. Um, Maybe you're here and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself like a full-on follower of Jesus or a Christian or a, or a churchgoer or any of that. Um, maybe you're here just checking out a new church or you were coerced to come by family or friends. Whatever the case is, we're really glad you're here and want you to stay and process and ask questions and hang out in our midst. Um, if that is you, I would be willing to bet, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I would be willing to bet you, you've experienced a sense of restlessness in life. And maybe even a sense of disappointment, especially after you have reached big milestones in your life. Uh, maybe you got the job you always wanted, you've been striving for for years. Um, maybe you um, reached a financial level you were striving for. Uh, maybe you met your spouse, maybe you had a child, maybe you bought a house, maybe you got in physical shape that you were you're hoping for. Maybe you like literally climbed a mountain that you wanted to climb. Um, whatever the big milestone was, I'm willing to bet there was a bit of restlessness afterwards. And even a, maybe even a sense of disappointment that that thing wasn't enough. Uh, that you needed something bigger or better. Maybe a better job or a higher income or better physical shape or whatever. Um, these feelings of restlessness and disappointment are there because we were made to worship God. And it's only when He's at the center of our lives that we can then begin to rightly appreciate things like jobs and houses and spouses and children and climbing mountains and things like that. We were made to worship Him. And what's the content of our worship according to this psalm? Look at the very end of verse 4. It says, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. That's the primary thing we do when we gather, is to tell God thank you. It's gratitude. For what? For His rescuing us from our sin. And calling us in to the people of God. If you, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Have you ever thought about, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you ever thought, what would my life look like? For, so for me, it was when I was 15 years old, freshman in high school, if I went a different way and I didn't ever believe, what would life look like for me now? I mean, it's a vastly different situation. When we gather for worship, we gather in gratitude to tell God thank you. We give thanks to His love and rescue. Okay, so worship is the way different types of people become one. Worship is the way we grow in our relationship with God. Third, worship is the way that we're transformed. And you see this in two ways in this psalm. Um, we are actually transformed during our gathering, like right now. Verse 5. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. 
as God's people gathered together, they would hear judgments from the throne over Israel. What are those judgments? Those judgments were God's words to his people. It was the king pronouncing judgments that would be justice for his people, ruling justly, delivering God's words and God's commands to them. Fast forward to us today. When we gather, we receive the judgments of God in our worship. God is at work as we sit under his word, transforming us in every part of our worship. Think about specific elements of what we do when we get together on a Sunday afternoon here in the gym at Phyllis Wheatley. We actually talked about this when we were with, doing Res Kids. We, they were naming different elements of worship and they got candy uh, when they got one right. There's no candy this afternoon. But think about all the specific elements of our worship. The call to worship, right? Where God's word comes to us. It wakes us up. It sort of grabs us by the collar. And it shakes us a little bit. It calls us into worship. Gets our attention. Sets the tone for what we're about to do. Um, all the songs we sing, it goes beyond just our minds and our intellects. It engages our hearts, our voices. Maybe if you're bold, it engages our bodies. If you raise your hands when we sing. Um, little by little, over time, we believe more deeply. We embody more deeply the things that we're singing. Our singing transforms us. Our confessions and, and our assurance. Um, we are invited to own our sin. Uh, to be honest with ourselves and God about the real ways in which we have disobeyed Him. And to be reminded of the grace that is ours in Jesus. Week in and week out, we become a people who more and more confess, are assured, confess, and are assured. We have our confession of faith where we say out loud together what we believe to be true in the Scriptures. Why? Because we forget. Because we need to be reminded time and time again. Then we sit under the preaching and reading of the Word like we're doing right now where the Holy Spirit sort of takes a flashlight and shines into the dark corners of our heart and our lives and convicts us of things that we haven't maybe really thought about or thought about fully and shines that light into more and more rooms of our house and flips lights on and brings us into greater obedience and faith as we sit under the Word. We gather around the communion table every week where we actually taste the fact that God loves us and forgives us. And then there's this benediction and sending where we are sent out with God's blessing and call to participate in His mission that we've just heard in our surrounding neighborhoods. All of this is under God's judgments, to use the language of Psalm 122. It's under God's Word, transforming us week in and week out. And sometimes when we gather, that stuff happens in spectacular, transformative ways. Where we literally walk out those back doors as different people. And you could probably, if you've been in church for a, maybe a number of years, you could probably pinpoint a few key moments where it was, it was such a powerful message or something happened in the service where you, you literally walked out and you felt like a different person. Where it, maybe it was a sentence that just stung so deeply that God used it to literally change your life. Sometimes it's spectacular and transformative. Um, most of the time it is incredibly mundane and slow and normal. Where rather than like massive transformation, um, our old self, God sort of chips away at it little by little. And our new self is sort of put on in just little ways. Sometimes we don't even really know how God is making us new in the midst of a gathered worship service. But we are transformed week after week, month after month, year after year during our worship gatherings. And we're transformed in our life outside of our gatherings. Verses 6 through 9, the way this psalm ends, 
The word peace or shalom is mentioned three times. The word security is mentioned twice. Uh, This shalom, this peace, is what God's people are after. Peace with God. Peace with each other. Peace and security from the constantly changing day-to-day craziness of their world then and our world now. Uh, When we worship, we are transformed into a people of peace. Um, Deep peace, knowing that our sins really are forgiven. That's why we make such a big deal out of that. Um, Peace that we are restored into relationship with God. Um, Actively seeking to live in peace with each other. Prioritizing church family relationships to be on the same page with one another. And then this peace overflows out into our neighborhoods. Where we slowly become people who seek peace in places around us where there is no peace. We practically seek it in our neighborhoods. This is why we partner with ministries who are actively seeking peace and justice around us. Ministries like Elias or the Miracle Hill uh, Homeless Shelter and their other ministries, the Piedmont Women's Center. Um, Worship transforms how we live outside of our worship service. It's the way we're transformed. Here's the point of the psalm. It's good to gather and worship. And the psalmist tells us that at the very beginning. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And you know, you do know this because you're here. We don't have to travel to Jerusalem to worship anymore. Do you know where the temple of God is? It's us. We are the temple of God as individuals and as a collective body together. We are the place where God's Spirit dwells. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. This is Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, if you want to look at it later. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, listen for the building language, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As we close, there is an invitation to be a part of this dwelling place for God. I don't know what that will look like for you specifically. It it might mean deeper engagement in a weekly gathering like this. Um, It might mean giving yourself to Jesus for the first time. And if that's where you're at, if, if you have questions and you feel the Holy Spirit stirring in you and you think maybe one, today is one of those like transformative days on this Father's Day afternoon, on, on, you know, on June 19th, maybe this is a transformative day for you and you want to talk afterwards about what that would look like to follow Jesus for the first time or to be a part of His church. I would love to talk with you afterwards and answer any questions you have. Let's pray together. Father, thank You 